Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're with us here this morning. Um, one announcement I failed uh, to make this morning is uh, also remember the Weed family. John lost his brother this last week, and so keep John and Joyce in your prayers. So last week we began a, a series uh, exploring the subject of joy. And we looked at how we are called to be joyful people, and we are to be a joyful community. But if we're honest, we can also say that we sometimes struggle with this. That we're not, as, we're not always as joyful as we ought to be. And part of the problem stems from understanding joy. And also being aware of the things that rob us of joy or keep us from joy. And so all of us have some concept of joy. But, but if we were forced this morning to sit down and to write out a definition uh, of what joy is, we, we would probably all struggle a little bit. We, we know what it is when we experience it, but having to explain it or define it, that's a different story. And so this morning, we're going to go deeper. So hopefully, we'll walk away with a better grasp of what joy is and what joy is not. And so let's begin with a couple of things of what joy is not. First of all, joy is not a blind optimism that ignores the sufferings and injustices of this world. And so God is not asking us to put on a smile and pretend like everything is okay when it's actually not. This is not what joy is. Letters like Philippians use the word joy or rejoice over and over again. But, but if you think about it, if you think about that letter and you look at it, this does not keep Paul from addressing some very serious issues in the church. And so we can have joy and still feel sorrow. We can have joy and fight injustice. And so Christian joy does not cause us to ignore the plight of others or to bury our heads in the sand. In fact, I would suggest it does the opposite. Joy is a spiritual weapon that, that we use to fight, against, fight back against the darkness that is in this world. All right, second, joy is not an emotion that must be constantly maintained. You know, if this is what we believe joy is, then we're going to wear ourselves out. A lifestyle where a person um, tries to maintain constant happiness is impossible and exhausting. And yet we know people who try to do this. They're going from one thing to another. They don't slow down. They don't say no because they're always afraid of missing out. Joy is a blessing. It is not a burden is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is not to add to our anxiety. It is to ground us in the same ways that peace and hope do. And so there's a couple ways that, that, that joy is not these things. And so if that's what joy is not, then what is it? Well, last week we defined joy. I gave you a definition, and we'll return to that here in a little bit. But defining a word is not enough. 
Because you see, often words are used in different ways. And if we only understand one use of a word, and then we try to apply that use to every use of that word, we're going to be confused. Everything's just not going to add up. And I think this is what happens with joy, that the Bible uses joy in some very distinct ways. And I'm going to give you three of those ways this morning. And sometimes we're just taking one of those uses and we're trying to apply it to all. So how is joy used in the Bible? Well, the first is what we might call uh, the, the standard or general understanding of joy. It's the use that most people are familiar with in the world. In this sense, joy is tied to friendship or maybe an occasion like a wedding or a celebration. It can be experienced by having a nice meal, tasting some good food, hearing a talented musician. And we find examples of this in Scripture. One of them is Numbers 10.10. It says, On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feast, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a reminder of you before your God, I am the Lord your God. And one of the things we have to understand here is that there are various words for joy in Scripture, and, and gladness is one of the translations that you find here. So on the day of your joy or on the day of your gladness. And what's being described here is some of the feasts and festivals that the Jewish people um, celebrated. And so the people of God throughout history have come together to celebrate feasts and to honor the Lord. And these were always times of great joy. You find further descriptions of them um, going back into the Torah and other places. And it's not limited to the Old Testament. In the early church, the Lord's Supper was a meal. And, and they sometimes called these meals love feasts. In fact, you have a reference to this in your Bible, Jude verse 12. You probably haven't looked at Jude lately, but you can go and look at the book of Jude and look at verse 12 and you have a reference to love feasts. You might think, What's, what is that? Well, it was sometimes a word used of this celebration of the Lord's Supper. And the, if you think about the, the somber time of reflection that we often associate with the Lord's Supper, this is something that um, comes out of Catholicism. Now, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a good thing to pause and remember what Jesus did for us. But we also need to make sure that we, as the people of God, are participating in meals with the body of Christ. That the joy of a meal with fellow believers is something that dates back thousands and thousands of years. I want you to notice how Ecclesiastes uh, associates joy with eating, drinking, and just the good things of life. And so you have numerous mentions of it in this book. And so here are just a few. Ecclesiastes 2.24, There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. Ecclesiastes 9.7, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. And then Ecclesiastes 9.9, Enjoy life with the wife 
whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. And so the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is simple. Make sure you take time to enjoy the simple things. Don't be so busy or so stressed or so overworked that you miss out on just the everyday pleasures of life. These are things that you know, everyone can enjoy. But we're also reminded that the wisdom of God leads to human flourishing. And so if we follow God's wisdom, it's going to lead to more moments like these. The second use of joy found in Scripture is associated with rescue or salvation. And so it's these times when God takes a bad situation and he makes it good. It might be God rescuing us from our enemies or God blessing us in a special way when we're down or we're feeling sorrow. Uh, you find examples of this in Psalm 30. So Psalm 30 and verse 5, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And so God rescues us from evil. He rescues us from sin. He saves us from troubles, and this produces joy within us. We rejoice when God delivers us from a bad situation and then he makes things well again. And you, again, you find numerous passages like this throughout the Bible. And then there's this third use of joy that we find in Scripture. And it's the one that most um, Christians are familiar with. Um, it's, uh, it's found throughout the New Testament. And it is a joy that comes from knowing how everything is going to turn out. And so it's a joy based on events that have happened and also events that are going to come to pass. And so here's a, a quick summation uh, of these events. There's the foundation of joy in our lives. So God, first of all, took on flesh and he lived among us. One of the things that's interesting is you can just go back and look at Matthew and Luke and look at those birth stories there and how often joy is found there. Rejoice, rejoice, joy is everywhere. You know, God takes on flesh. He lives among us. He came near. And then people experienced the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The blind saw, the captives were set free, the oppressed received liberty. Jesus died on a cross, and three, uh, three days later, he rose again. And so he overcame the powers of sin and death. He ascended to the Father, and he is reigning from his throne as we now speak. He is Lord of all. And one day he's coming back to right all wrongs, and those who give their allegiance to him, they will live with him forever. That's just a quick summation of everything. And so, no matter what is happening in the world, no matter what the headlines are, no matter what you're going through personally, there is nothing 
nothing that can rob us of the joy that we receive from these facts, these things we know. So let's look at our definition again. And this definition um, you know, is associated with this third view of joy. Joy is a steady disposition about life, very much connected to peace and hope. We might say that joy is a hopeful and peaceful outlook on life, a deep-seated sense of well-being. And so again, this, this kind of joy is a, is a disposition about life. It is an outlook on life. We can recognize that things are not the way that they should be. And we work to alleviate hunger. We work to fight injustice. We stand for what is right. And we do all of this joyfully because we know what God has done and what he is doing. And our joy makes us more likely to work for what is right and stand against what is wrong than those who don't have it or or those who see the world differently. Because if someone does not have this joy... If someone has an outlook on life that says, you know, nothing really matters, life stinks, and there's nothing that that you can do about it, then what good do you think a person like that is doing? Most people who have that outlook on life, they just kind of shrug their shoulders and they just keep moving on. Our joy lets us know that we are participants in God's work in this world. That God is right now at work to right all wrongs, and we can join with him in that work. This third kind of joy is referenced in passages like Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And so when we embrace this kind of joy, our outlook on life is forever altered. We're seeing things from a different perspective. You know, we often look at this letter to the Philippians, and we think that, you know, everything must have been perfect in that church. It had to be perfect because Paul mentions joy so much, right? Well, the truth is, when you really study that letter, everything was not perfect. Paul was in prison, the church was divided, and what is Paul's advice to them? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And why he does this, this is really a deep command if you take a minute and think about it. He's suggesting that our joy should be bigger than the problems that we face. Our joy should be greater than the headlines that we read. Our joy should be stronger than whatever circumstances we are in. Now, joy does not cause us to ignore these things, but joy allows us to see them and even do something about them while also understanding that Jesus is Lord, that he's conquered sin and death, and he's coming back one day. And so Philippians 4.4 is not just another saying to put on a t-shirt. It is a way of living. It is an outlook on life 
whatever happens to us, whatever life throws our way, we can choose to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, there's another set of passages found in the Bible about joy that I didn't include here. They're very interesting. They are creation passages that speak of the joy that trees have and the joys animals have. And there are multiple passages like this in Scripture. I'll give you one of them. Um, Psalm 65, verses 12 through 13. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. What are we to make of these passages? Well, probably several things, but I'll just give you one this morning. It's that this is the world as God intended it to be. I think that that's what is captured in these passages. This is how it should be. He created his creation to be filled with joy. And guess what? That means he created us to be filled with joy. And so it is when we are joyful that we are most fully human. It's when we are joyful that we are most like Jesus. This is who God wants us to be. You might think of it this way. You might think of joy as home. It's where God wants us to be. When we are joyful, we are blessed and we are blessing others. It's the place that we need to return to over and over again. In fact, more than that, it's the place where we need to strive to live. We just need to be there, be joyful, live joyfully, cling to joy. And we can do this because we serve a God who has rescued us from sin and evil. We can do this because you know, we belong to this Christian community that eats together and celebrates together and does things together, and we, we get joy from that. But most importantly, we can do this because Jesus himself has overcome sin and death, and he's going to return again to right all wrongs. And so he has given us this new outlook on life that allows us to always be joyful, no matter what's going on in the world. And so do not let anyone or anything rob you of your joy. Stand up against all that is wrong by choosing joy. Because, again, joy is one of the greatest weapons that we have at our disposal. And so choose joy and share it with everyone that you meet. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, we come before you this morning, and we're just thankful um, for this day. We're thankful for the rain that we've received and all the blessings that come with this first day of the week when we can gather as your people and, and rejoice in everything that you've done for us and rejoice in worshiping you. And Father, we're just so grateful for this time when we're reminded of what you have done and what you are doing. And this allows us to go back into the world a joyful people. 
knowing that no matter what we face, no matter what is going on, that you are in control and that you have conquered sin and death and you are coming back one day to right all wrongs. May we live from this place of joy and may people in this world see it within us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.